Whoever is listening, however you are listening, my name is Gray Man. This is the Man with a Plan podcast, episode 32. Guys, thank you so much for the support as always. We are on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I am not alone. I'm joined by Adam Hawk. Now, if you're wondering who Adam Hawk is, he is a resident of Orange County. He is the executive producer of The Jim Rome Show, one of the most popular sports talk radio shows in America. And he's the owner of the co-owner of Nation Golf, one of the coolest golf brands out there. Adam Hawk, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Really glad that you reached out. I'm glad that we're able to get this done. And uh, it's great to spend some time with you. Thank you for the introduction. And I'm really looking forward to it. So I just want to get started. We're going to get right into it. You're obviously the big pitch that I was sold on is that you are the executive producer of the Jim Rome show. And that's a pretty, it's pretty big up there. So what really got you into producing radio? How did you get your start? Just tell me, walk me through that. Um, I got into producing radio just because I absolutely loved radio as a kid. My parents listened to a lot of talk radio. I didn't really grow up listening to FM radio or music. They just always had talk radio on in the car. I found talk radio fascinating because the conversation is so fluid. It's always changing. You don't listen to the same thing, you know, more than, uh, you don't listen to it two days in a row in terms of, you know, the same subject you get. It's just, it's, it's always changing. You have to pay attention to it with music. And I've worked in music radio before most stations are programmed to play like the same 10 songs every day. And that's by design. Um, talk radio is it's, it's constantly changing. I fell in love with kind of eavesdropping in on conversations, especially when you've got a good host who's really entertaining at it. So um, being a sports fan as a kid um, and then finding out that there was a whole genre of talk radio dedicated to sports. Um, when I lived in Seattle, I got really into the idea of working at the Seattle uh, sports radio station, 950 KJR. And I applied for an internship uh, when I was attending my first community college, I believe it was, yeah, it was when I was attending my first community college and I got in and it was for the morning show. And I just remember waking up super early and going to that show and just being really kind of blown away by the fact that I was in a radio station building and I was watching a host that I knew do a show and knowing that it was going out to all these cars around the Seattle area. I thought that was so fun. And I just got hooked right away. You, you'll find out when you work in radio that there's a lot of lifers in the business. A lot of people that have been doing it since they were 19, like I was in my case, and they just never get out of it because they like it so much. They get the bug and I got it. And when I moved down to Los Angeles, I got another internship and one thing led to another. And I just worked my way up from being an intern to a call screener, to a board op, to an associate producer, to an executive producer. And I climbed the ladder in a very, very traditional sense. You know, one job to the next, to the next, to the next, each one bigger than the last. And now uh, I'm with Jim Rome. So that's kind of how it happened. And I am now coming up on 13 years in the business than the last five with Jim. And it's been great. So how does that relationship with Jim work? So how did y'all initially come across each other? Was it something like you said, you just 
your work showed for itself and it it was just out there for him or did y'all meet up and have that how did that relationship begin when i worked for a los angeles radio station called the beast 980 i was producing drive time radio for a host named fred rogan that station the entire time that we were there was for sale and when it sold they flipped the format to indian music and so there wasn't any sports left and essentially the program director came in and told us hey in two weeks this station is not a sports station anymore and you're all out of a job um someone that i knew at the radio station who was a prominent host his name is chris myers he hosts nascar he uh does um the nfl on fox he hosts uh some baseball for Fox as well. And he's even done the uh, Westminster dog show. He's just had like every job in the world, but he's pretty well known. If you looked him up, you would recognize his face right away. Chris Myers. Um, he recommended me to Jim's manager. Like, Hey, if you ever have anything available, I really like this kid and um, you could really use him. And it just so happened that Jim's producer at the time, Kyle Brandt, was getting a new job at the NFL Network, and he's still at that job. If you ever turn on Good Morning Football, he's a uh, morning show oh, yeah. host. Yeah, every day before high school, that was Good Morning Football. I recognize Kyle Brandt. Absolutely. So he was Jim's guy before, and when he left for that opportunity, um, I was already on their short list because of Chris Myers recommending me. They brought me in, and we interviewed for. Uh, a long time. I'm not talking about like one day. I'm talking about many, many months. And um, that's, you know, when you get to this level of it, they got to make sure that they have the right fit. So the interview process took a while, um, which was fine. It was great. And that led me to the Jim Rome show. So we did not have a previous experience. It was a combination of the luck of Kyle Brandt leaving and also being recommended by somebody else in the business who had the ear of Jim Rome's manager. So now that you're on the Jim Rome show, you've been doing it for a while. Can you take me through what an average day looks like for an executive producer, at least on at least what your body of work looks like day per day? Because it's a five-day show. They don't do Saturday and Sundays. How does that look from Monday to Friday? Um, yeah, so the week really starts Sunday night because you're prepping for Monday's show. And with a show starting as early as ours does, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, you, you have to start looking at the stories the night before. Um, so Sunday night going into Monday, you'll open your laptop, you will turn on the TV, you'll watch games, you'll start prepping for what you have been seeing. Um, and then you start formulating, you know, your opinions on what just happened um, on a national show like ours. You're looking at the big national stories from sports. And in the morning, um, I get there about five in the morning, four hours before the show starts. Jim is not far behind and neither is the rest of the staff. And then we start collaborating for the day on what we want to talk about and how we want to talk about it. And then Jim is the master at uh, forming his opinions. And then, you know, after we prep it, we do it live. And uh, during that time, I'm screening emails screening tweets, screening phone calls, and getting the audience as involved as possible if they make the conversation better, and often they do. Um, and then, you know, I will call guests to get them on the air as well and just kind of be Jim's right-hand man throughout the live performance. And when it's done, two or three times a week, we'll tape a podcast 
And um, other times we'll just kind of debrief on how the show went. And then we'll typically get out of there a couple hours after the show and go home, recharge, spend some time with the family. And then when eight o'clock rolls around and those games are back on, you just, you, you go at it again. And that's, that's the routine Sunday night through Friday afternoon. And it truly doesn't stop because right now you got the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, MLB is really kicking into the midseason. We're getting a lot of good games in. We got Phil Mickelson just won the, the was the oldest player to win the majors, and that stuff's just insane. So you mentioned screening calls. Can you take me through like how that works? Like some of the crazy story, because obviously the thing for a long time was have a take, don't suck, and you need mm-hmm. to be able to add to the show and make it better. Have you had? some nuts just like call on, like take me through that whole experience. Cause I'm sure it's each day is just something like worth a million stories. It's just insane. Yeah. Um, we have all sorts of people calling all the time. And remember I, I hear all the calls, but the audience doesn't. So I take every call that comes in, whether it gets on the air is a whole different story. I would say for all the calls that I pick up and say hello to um, 10%, if that make it on the air. So the other people that aren't making it on either suck, they have (laughs) a bad cell phone, they're drunk, what they're saying doesn't make the show better, or it's already been said before, or it's so off topic that it doesn't move the conversation forward and has nothing to do with, with what we're talking about. You always have people who like, don't think we talk enough tennis or F1. And, um, those people, they just have an agenda. They just, they just want to hear it. But those are very niche sports that really don't work on national radio. So those people always call in and say, hey, let me get on and talk about wrestling. And I'm not talking about like WWE. I'm talking about like actual oh. <laughs> traditional wrestling because they know some story that we don't know. And we don't know it because no one cares. So you got to filter out and editorialize like, what does the main audience want to hear? The best advice I ever got, well, some of the best advice I ever got, was from a broadcaster named Tom Looney. And he told me it's called broadcasting, not narrow casting. And what he meant by that was you are doing a show that appeals to the masses, not to a narrow lane of people. And it's just a play on words, obviously. That's not really why it's called broadcasting. But he's like, don't forget the broad and broadcasting. Be broad with what you're talking about. Um, make sure that someone in South Carolina cares about what you're going to say about the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, we have to make it entertaining for you on the East coast, talking about a West coast team and vice versa. We got to make a Clemson football story entertaining to someone in Seattle who follows a PAC 10 team or a PAC 12 team, I should say in the Huskies, you know, like you have to, you have to figure out how to make the show as entertaining as possible for as many people as possible at the same time. So when it comes to callers, if you can't check those boxes, if you don't make it more entertaining than not, if you don't appeal to the masses, then you've got no place on our show. That's precious real estate. You're only as good as your word caller. Cause as soon as Jim goes to a caller, that airtime now belongs to that caller and you're in your car. You might only get to listen to the show for 10 minutes that day. We do a three hour show, but most people spend 10 to 15 minutes listening because it's normally the duration of wherever they're driving. And if we're going to let a caller take over for 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, it better be good because that's essentially one tenth of however long you're going to be able to listen to us that day. 
it's very precious time. So you talk about how the show can flow and how the show can be better. What happens when, in essence, it just breaks apart? Like, let's say the sports world, it like it did last year, the sports world pretty much fell apart. Or like right now we have Aaron Rodgers with the Packers or Julio Jones or something with Phil Mickelson happens. What do you guys do if during the show something like that breaks and it has to be on the air? It has to fit in somehow. What's the process that takes place? Um, you need to be on your toes and be looking on Twitter is probably the best breaking news service out there. And when you've worked in sports long enough, or even like you followed them long enough, you know that there are people who know what they're talking about. So if a big NBA trade happens, you know to look for Adrian Wojnarowski. You make sure you're not getting duped. You make sure there's <laughs> blue check. You make sure there's the follower count. You vet the information and then you get the information to Jim as quickly as possible. And uh, Jim is very good at being able to form opinions based on breaking news. Also, you don't necessarily need to have a snap take on breaking news. You just need to break the news. The news will speak for itself right. more often than not. Like if Aaron Rodgers were to wind up on a different team in the middle of our show, you don't necessarily need to have a take on that trade, like who won that trade, who lost that trade or whatever. You just need to report it because the news will be so outstanding and shocking um, that it's entertaining enough without you necessarily putting your opinion on it. And I would always say like, it's better to be correct than to be quick. Like you want to make sure when I was saying about vetting information that you want to have that buttoned up, you don't want to go on and say, um, yeah, LeBron James was traded and you, you want to be the first to have it so bad that you didn't bother to see that that wasn't, it was a fake Adrian Wojnarowski, you know? So you want to be correct versus being quick. And then you want to let the news speak for itself versus having kind of a non-research unjustified opinion about something but that said some things you can easily come up with an opinion that you're going to feel good about saying at the time and you'll feel just as good about saying it 24 hours later after you you've slept on it you know i think everyone knows if aaron Rodgers leaves the packers the packers are going to lose in that deal no matter what he's he's a hall of famer you know that's a podcast episode for another time yep exactly. <laughs> so like uh breaking news happening during the show what kind of events like let's say the day, the day after the Super Bowl, the day after Game Seven of the NBA Finals, or the day after Phil Mickelson becomes the oldest golf player to win a major, or something like that. What event takes the most prep, or does it really? Is it happen as it goes? Basically, are you watching and forming a take as let's say the the Buccaneers are just handing it to the Chiefs, or LeBron James wins his fourth NBA championship, or something like that? Yeah, you kind of have to be thinking on the fly um, as things are happening. You don't necessarily need to wait for a final score to start figuring out what you think about something. But at the same time, you know, games are always going to end and give us mm, the night and the morning to prepare for what we want to say. We're going to have that four hours of prep in the morning. We're going to have the time at night. Um, and so, yeah, we, we know what we want to say by the time we go on the air. And we're typically pretty well researched on all of it. Um, so yeah, in terms of like what takes precedence, like what's the most important story? I mean, in American sports hierarchy, the NFL is always going to be the most important thing. A regular season NFL game to the viewing and listening audience has always been more important than a World Series baseball game. I'm a huge baseball fan, so that pains me to say it, but 
it's just you you can't let your own sensibilities and your own favoritism get in the way of like what the people want the the people have spoken um many times over they want the nfl they want college football and everything else is a distant distant second in fact you know the nba would be third to that but it is a really distant third to uh football whether it's the uh, nfl or college now does something like the draft take more precedent than like an nba playoff game is that something that you really have to decide what takes more value because you like you said the nfl is like here the nba is all the way in a distant third does something is because when you think the draft and then you compare it to a game it doesn't seem as big but it becomes a story it becomes a talking point for weeks on end yeah um, the draft is absolutely more important than an NBA game. Luckily, with the drafting in April, it would never go head-to-head to like an NBA right. playoff game. But if they were hypothetically to go head-to-head, um, considering that the NBA plays seven games in every series, well, at least four, they play a seven-game series, they're going to play at least four. Unless that game is an elimination game and it's for the Eastern Conference Finals, the Western Conference Finals, or the Finals, yeah, the draft would definitely... Uh, take precedent. The draft combines both college and the NFL because you're seeing college players turn into NFL players, and then there's no game to it. So, this is also a fascinating thing about sports. Um, and whether you know it or not, the sports fan is more into um, the hypotheticals than the reality. The free agency in the NBA is more interesting than than the actual games because it's more interesting to think about what this team is going is going to do versus actually watching them do it you know like everyone's like it, it was more fun when lebron and anthony davis teamed up on paper than it is to watch them on the court it just is because you start thinking about what they can do together um you're watching it you saw it with the brooklyn nets like talking about james harden and kyrie and kevin durant on the same team it's more fun to talk about that before you know what's going to happen than it is to watch that game so i say all that to say this the draft checks every box it's the nfl it's college football and it's this hypothetical of what is this team going to do with this player right um and that's drama i mean we like to think like that we like to talk like that um people feel very smart because there's nothing to prove them wrong you know you can say whatever you want you can make your prediction that game is not going to be played tomorrow with you know it's more fun to talk about how many games Trevor Lawrence is going to win with the Jaguars than it actually is to watch him play. And I'm not saying it's not fun to watch him play. That's everyone still loves it and will do it. But those, these months leading up to his first game, there's much more intrigue around what he can do um, than actually watching him do it. And now you add Tebow to that and it just becomes a whole, because the NFL draft in my mind has always been this like glorified reality show. And it combines every, like, if you're into one thing, you're another, like it combines everything. So everybody's glued to their TVs, especially that like the time or the clock, the way they have it set up. It's such a well done presentation that I think it just takes such precedent, especially having it be in April because you've been t- two months removed from football from February and you still got a lot of time left before September starts. So it's a lot of talking and a lot of what if. And I personally love the what if. So I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And I think you nailed it. You calling it a reality TV shows exactly what it is and, and and the whole what if you put it better than i did um it, it is the what if what ifs are more fun to talk about than to actually watch come to fruition because 
again, you can't be wrong when it comes to a what if. You get to have your opinion. You get to feel good about it. And then the draft also flips everything upside down. You just watched the Super Bowl with the two best teams. Two months later, you get to watch the worst team pick the best player. And then you start thinking, does the best player make the worst team a good enough team to go do what the two best teams just did two months ago? I mean, there's so many layers to it. And those layers can honestly fill an entire offseason. And they're more fun to discuss over the summer than to watch a regular season baseball game. And that's why you will constantly hear sports radio shows talking football over the summer while there's, you know, 16 baseball games on it, or I'm forgive me, uh, 15 baseball games on a night. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of baseball too. So there's uh, I think what everybody, the talk with the NBA right now and the MLB is that there is enough urgency, especially in the regular season. So there's not as much, there's not as much of a reason to watch it. So in the NFL, each game counts, each player matters. So that's when it the NFL draft basically heightens it and it just becomes this constant, constant talk and all the same, like you saw with the Lakers, LeBron and Anthony Davis both went down, but they're probably still going to end up in the finals anyways, because they have their team and they'll be able to play these seven game series and get it adjusted. So that's also another discussion for another time, I guess. Yeah. Um, again, like, talking about them and what would happen was kind of more fun than seeing it. Right. Like it's like, Hey, what's going to happen to the Lakers now that they don't have their two best players, the, the, what's going to happen, the, what ifs, the hypotheticals, the reality TV show behind sports is kind of always more interesting than when they get between the lines, you know, but that's human nature. It's when we don't know something, it's really fun to like fill in the blanks, you know? Yes, it really is that's a whole lot of sports radio. So you being an executive producer, it's the top of the line. It's the top, like a sports person like me, who's been doing this podcast thing for about five, six months, could only dream to have a job with working alongside Jim Rome, working in that environment, being in LA. The It's just, I you go to bed and I dream about that stuff. What are some of the perks though, of being an executive producer that people don't really see, people don't really talk about? Um, you do get some access, which um, I think, is is like kind of why we all fell in love with sports is like hey i like i like games i don't just like watching them i like going to them and then there are certain games that you get to go to that um you know come with the job and going to a super bowl week and working a radio row is a really fun thing going to a golf event and setting up and doing a remote broadcast going to a us open um those are all great and I mean, I guess the best perk is that every single day is different, um, which is kind of why I fell in love with talk radio to begin with is um, there's no monotony to the job. It's not like, oh, my God, it's the same thing over and over again. The topics dictate your day and the topics change every single day. And so that's another great perk. Also, you become really, really fast family with the people you work with um, because it's a total collaborative team effort. And you're all pulling in the same direction. And that's a really unique thing to have is like when you're doing a show together from the host to the producer, to the board op, you're, you're all, you're performing live together. And that's a really fun, cool feeling. There are high stakes to what's happening. You know, the host has to deliver the content in the correct way. The producer has to facilitate the show in the correct way the board op has to hit the drops at the right time and it's all live i mean there's like no one's gonna die if you screw it up but at the same time you don't want to screw it up you, you want to do it really well so you're in the trenches with these guys every single day and they become family um so yeah there there's the perks are i mean there's a lot of them but 
off the top of my head, that would be it. Access, feeling like family with the people you work with and your job being different every single day. Um, yeah, that's all great. But to what you said at the beginning that this is, you know, a dream for you and everything. I mean, that's, that's awesome. It was a dream for me too. At one point, I would say the advice I give everyone, like if you want to make it a reality is there's only two things you really need. It, you don't need to know more sports than anyone. You, you absolutely do not need to know that. So it's not about like filling your head up with like, I got to know more than the next guy. You don't, um, you don't need to talk better on the air. You don't need any of that. Um, you don't need to know like more guests to call. What you need to do is just have two things. You got to have a great work ethic. You got to be willing to do like, you got to pay your dues and be willing to do like every job to go work those overnight board op shifts at the college radio station to take internships that are unpaid um, and to just kind of grind it out and just work at a lower level than you want to, to get to the higher level. So your work ethic is number one, it has to be better than everyone else around you because that's, it's very easy to notice when someone is working harder than everyone and you can control that too. Right. So that, that would be number one. The second thing would be, and this is huge, is just likability. I mean, being nice and being kind and being polite is such a forgotten trait in this world. Um, and I can already tell that you're a very nice, polite guy. <laughs> I would not lose that if I were you. And you want everyone that you come in contact with, and I mean everyone when you're working, to remember you for being nice and likable and easy to be around. Like, hey, I really like Gray Man. I want to be around him. Because what that does for you in the future is it just it pays dividends. You'll never remember like holding the door open or telling like the funny joke that got everyone to laugh or being the super agreeable person that put their ego aside. Like you might not remember that because you do it every single day, but it sticks with someone. And then if that someone is in a position to do something for you later, then what you are to them are the two things that I just said were the most important. You're the hardest working guy in the building and you're also the nicest. And that is an unbeatable combination. I, because if you take that and you put it up against the guy who knows the most sports and um, it can talk better or whatever, you're going to win every single time. Remember at the beginning of this interview, I told you that a guy named Chris Myers went to bat for me. I didn't know he went to bat for me and he went to bat for me because he liked me. Um, so likability is huge. Be a likable guy. And remember that like likability will get you really far in life and all it really, and, and you can control it too. It's, it's not like something you're born with or like some people are luckier than others to be likable. You can be likable simply by being nice and polite, be a nice and polite guy that works, that outworks everyone. That's it, man. Yeah. So obviously we're going to talk about being nice and polite. You going out of your way to do this interview would be something I would classify as nice and polite, but I know that I'm not the only one that probably goes, Hey, Mr. Hawk, like, can you do this? Can you do that? What, what sticks out to you? What drives you to just help people like me who are just trying to accomplish their dream, trying to get up there in the sports world, trying to just be that next guy? Because I'm not the only one that sleeps at night thinking that they're going to be or trying to be the next Roma or the next Nance or something like that. What drives you to pretty much give back to what this new generation of sports broadcasters? Um. I, it just, I just like doing it. I, I feel very blessed that I'm in any kind of position in the world where 
a stranger would find me on Instagram and want to talk to me. Like that's a huge blessing. Like not everyone can say that. How many people do you know in your life that would get that kind of request? So I don't care who it's from, if I know that person, how young they are, where they are in their aspiring career. I'm just absolutely thrilled and honored to be asked. I really am. And so I don't ever want to say no to that because it's a fortunate position to be in. And I feel like after having a, you know, a decade plus in this business that there are a few things you and I can talk about in a 45 minute conversation that could be very beneficial to you and very beneficial to somebody else that might listen. And I also believe in just paying it forward. You know, I would hope that if I asked somebody for advice or wanted to talk to them for a little bit, that they would say yes to me. And it's, um, it's, it's 45 minutes of my life. It's not a big ask at all. If I'm too much of a jerk or an egomaniac or a big shot to say yes to this, then there's something wrong with me. I'm very happy you asked and I'm very happy when anyone asks and I try my best to accommodate them as best as I can, because these conversations are fun and hopefully, you know, we both are better for it at the end. That's right. So a couple more things before we get wrapped up. The last one going to be, so you guys pretty much start at 9 a.m. Is there any time where you have that those super early in the morning when you have to prep? Like, let's say you watch a game and like Jim Rome hits like text you or something saying, hey, I need you to get on this. Is there a time where you just you don't go to sleep and it's just a long night of prep? Like, take me through those long, grueling nights, because I'm sure that happens more than once in a year. You know, it's actually interesting. I've never had like I've never had to pull the all nighter where like you roll into work, like not sleeping at all. Um, thankfully sports aren't that important, you know, it's, it's like, they're important to some people, but they're not important enough to anyone where like, you wouldn't have to sleep for a night. If something breaks late, you typically would actually, the, the, the play there is to just hit the sack as quick as possible. So you can wake up as early as possible. Like if, yeah. if there's an insane story that breaks late at night, like 11 PM or whatever, you just are like, okay, well, the best case here is just duck out to sleep and wake up earlier than you normally would and get at it. Um, Cause you're going to be a pile of crap. If you don't sleep, you're, you're going to be worse than if you, you know, took some time off from prep to get some Z's sleep is important, you know? So yes. um, yeah, we're finding that out more and more often, but luckily there's not been that. I mean, there's, there's been stories that have broke like super early in the morning, like right when you wake up and you're like, Oh my gosh, everything I, prep the night before it doesn't matter anymore it's all about this story right now um I, the most recent example i can think of of a story that like broke in the morning um where you just knew that the show was kind of over is when aaron hernandez killed himself in jail that broke at like five in the morning pacific time so i hadn't even gotten to work but like espn and yahoo and cbs were like blowing up my phone and it's like aaron hernandez found dead in his jail cell and you just know like okay that's the top story and everything that you prepped the night before doesn't matter anymore and as soon as you get to work you gotta start digesting the breaking news and like putting it together because that's what the audience is going to want to hear about and talk about um and hear jim's opinion about so that that was that was a recent time where like a super early morning story kind of hijacked the show and something like that's super delicate too. So it's not like a, it's like not like a trade where you can kind of, it's so, it's like a somber topic. It's something really delicate. Like that's a man's life. 
And obviously you see, they've made a Netflix show about it. Like they've done mm-hmm. his life is just a whole big mystery. So it, it has to obviously be handled very delicately and super early in the morning. So it's just a whole, like, I can see how that'd be a huge, just absolute, just, I can't even put that into words. Cause it's such a, I don't want to call it a mess because then it kind of t- takes away from what Hernandez's story is, I guess. Yeah. No, but you're right. It's, and it's very smart of you to pick up on that being like a delicate story. You can't just come out and just start freewheeling on it. You want all your facts to be buttoned up. There was a lot of speculation of what had happened at the time, if it was a suicide or if it was a murder. Um, and there is still a degree of journalism to sports radio. You don't want to go out there repeating hearsay or going off of unvetted reports. And it is a, um, it's a heavier topic. It's, you're not exactly talking about box scores at that time. You're talking about a potential triple murderer who killed himself, but is also the father to a young daughter. And it, there, it's just, there's so many nuanced layers to it. So good on you to pick up on that. And yes, it happening in the morning definitely made it weird and hard. Um, and you're, you use the right word. It, it was a bit of a mess to figure it out, but that's part of producing too. And you know, the longer you're in it, the you, you realize like you have to strike a tone with certain stories. Um, and it is all about kind of like knowing the tone to strike. And that's a time where you, you strike a more serious tone. So before we wrap up, I think it's kind of like jarring to go from one thing to another, but let's talk about yeah. nation golf, because when I saw your, you were a co-owner of this brand and I have actually a weird story. So if you're listening, McGregor, Sam or Cannon, we had our first round of golf about a couple of weeks ago. We're absolutely terrible at it. And it kind of correlated with you and our interview was starting to pick up. You and I were starting to chat and I saw that you had nation golf. I started looking at it. And I was like, this guy, this is pretty cool. And you repost a lot on your Instagram. I'll make sure you get that covered on when I make this post, but take me through nation golf, the story, what it's about and just what's your favorite stuff about it. Like just take me through it. I appreciate you asking. The first thing I'll say is I hope that you play a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth round of golf um nobody is good at it yeah keep trying dude no one's good at it the first time no one's good at it at all period so it's just about going from sucking a lot to sucking a little bit less with golf because it's a very hard sport or i'm sorry it's very hard game um i hesitate to call it a sport because if you can smoke a cigar and drink beer while you're doing it it's not a sport um (laughs) and it shouldn't be you should viewing it as a game will really like liberate your feeling towards it um, nation golf came to be like, I saw this thing on Instagram of these classic golf clothes and this guy who was kind of the face of it. And I love the style. And I was just like, wow, no one's doing this. Like everyone's kind of doing like the standard super jockey tech performance Nike thing that looks more like a soccer Jersey than a golf shirt. And, that one. Yeah. And like, you look back at these guys from like the 50s, 60s and 70s, and they just did it better than anyone. And they look as good in those pictures back then as they do today. It's 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 the very definition of timeless. When something is timeless, like whether it's music, art, fashion, um, it's it, it means that there's it's going to age. It's not going to age. It's like it's as good then as it was now, and it's as good now as it will be in the future. And golf definitely had its heyday of like amazing timeless fashion. And for some reason, people stopped doing it. And I actually know the reason. The reason is Tiger Woods came along, whom I love, but he came along and he was built like an athlete, first golfer ever built like an athlete. He signed with Nike, first golfer to sign with Nike. 
And Nike has always been very forward thinking and very tech driven and very jockey. And you put the jockeyest clothes on the jockeyest golfer and that guy's the best golfer in the world. Everyone starts wanting to dress like that and trend that way. And unfortunately, when you go to a local course, uh, you realize not everyone looks like Tiger and those clothes <laughs> look as good on them as they look on him. And it just looks kind of sloppy and trashy out there. Um, and so I was just frustrated. I couldn't find anything that I really wanted to wear. And then I saw this and I was like, whoa, this is cool. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. How come they, this guy only has 1800 followers? So I was like, what's going on here? So I, I reached out the same way you reached out to me on Instagram. I reached out to this guy from Nation Golf and said, hey man, can we have dinner? And I went down and met him for dinner. And I pitched him. I said, I believe in this company so much or this product so much that I want to help build the company. Like I love it that much. And I'm, I'm bewildered that you don't have a bigger following for what you're doing. And we um, continued to have the conversation over the course of a couple of months. We went and played golf together. We really hit it off. And he said, you know what? I'm bringing you in. Let's do this together. And um, we have together since 2020, quadrupled the imprint on Instagram. We have, oh man, I think we're at like nine times the amount of sales right now than we were before I got there in 2019. So the thing is just, it's exploding. We just made a beer and uh, him and I are, we're just a, we're a really good team. Like I do things that he doesn't do and he does a lot of stuff that I can't do. And I would encourage anyone, like if you have a chance to like try your hand in running your own business, just see what it's like, see what it's like to work for yourself, see what it's like to do a bunch of jobs that you never could have envisioned yourself doing and see what it's like to sell yourself, to really believe in something and be like, I made this product and I want other people to enjoy it. And like, how, how can I be compelling enough with what we're doing and what we're making and what we're selling to get people to do that? How can I earn someone's money in their business? Um, and it's fun and it's made me a better producer too. It's made me, um, really pay attention to a lot more details and have a lot of pride in like all the product that we're creating, not just a nation, but more pride in the product I'm creating for Jim, because this is Jim's business, you know? And now I see like, it, it, it just makes you appreciate everything that much more, you know, and how much work goes into like getting people's attention and their money and their eyeballs and all that stuff. Wow. And, and obviously the product speak to themselves. It's like going back to a better era. Yeah. And it's just, I, if I had the money, I would totally, I, I'm a big hat guy. So I would totally walk around like college or campus or whenever I play round two of golf, I'll try to maybe get some nation golf. And I have a ton of friends too, that play golf or trying to play college for golf. It's, I got, it's a pretty cool brand. So Thank guys, you. that is the interview with Adam Hawk. Adam, do you have anything before we wrap up? Thank you so, so much for doing this. It was such a fantastic interview. So much fun anything you want to say? I would say this. Um, please stick with this. You're an excellent interview. You're a great conversationalist. You booked your own guests, which is awesome. So the same way I've got my own business off to the side where I have to do everything to make it work. You're having to do everything to make it work. You might know this, you might not, but you're teaching yourself how to host, how to book, how to audio engineer, how to promote, because I know you're going to cut this up and put it out on social media and everything you're learning five jobs at once right now, which is awesome. And I heard all the places that you're putting this, um, you know, Apple podcasts, iTunes, Google play, Spotify, all that stuff. 
like the fact that like you're that far along and you're doing what like Joe Rogan and Jim Rome are doing is great, man. And you, um, you're very good at it. Your questions were awesome. So if you're asking me if I have one last thing to say, it would be keep at it, dude. And hopefully you. you can play the clip back in like 10 or 15 years when you got the big gig and you took the advice to stick with it. Fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, buddy. All right, guys, that was the Man With The Plan podcast, episode 32. Guys, if you stick stuck through the whole thing, thank you so much. Have a great day. Have a fantastic weekend, a Memorial Day. And as always, take care. Mm-hmm.